0: Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Amen. Uh, why don't we uh, get into uh, today's uh, message. Uh, I did want to pass along something. It's, it's kind of an irrelevant uh, announcement for the uh, first service. But uh, we do ask that uh, people kind of stay still during the service. And uh, a couple of people have come up and complained about being distracted with people getting up and walking around. And we do want to understand that we're pr- trying to present the gospel uh, it might be the opportunity for someone to be saved and, you know, sometimes being rude or distracting other people in the midst of the service, it, it can have a greater ramification than if you're just there at the theater. So, uh, you know, uh, we don't like to be too hard on it. Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, the mother church, uh, likes to uh, say if you get up and walk out the door, you're not allowed back in. And they're very strict about having any kid under 12 in the sanctuary whatsoever and, uh we don't want to be as tough as uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, but we're just trusting on everyone to have a level of discernment on uh, caring for, and if you get up and have to use the restroom or something, to not be disruptive to other people. But uh, try and keep it down to a minimum, and I, I find it, uh Steve, our usher, was gone last week, and Mary Love wasn't here either. They're normally the two that are the watchdogs. If you're being a pain, they'll come up and tap you on the shoulder. But... Uh, I can't hear a lot of things that are happening. So if there's other conversations and people are talking and throwing things around back there, you know, you kind of have to uh, put up with that. And if it really irritates you, uh, I suggest you sit closer. The closer you sit, uh, the less distractions you'll have. Of uh, people coming in late, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, I always like to sit up front, but that's always been me. But I just wanted to pass that on, and that way I say, I say it to both services, but uh, just to be fair is fair, and it is a holiday and stuff. But uh, we try and keep that down so that uh, people can concentrate on what's being said. It is God's Word. Amen? With that, we'll pray, and uh, we'll get into our chapter today, the uh, back half of uh, chapter 12. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do praise you that you are an awesome, awesome Godfather, and we thank you that you are our hero that you died on the cross and suffered for us, Father, so that we would be liberated to have everlasting life. You truly have given us independence, Father, and we pray that uh, we would wait, Father, for your return. As we sang and as we will hear today, Father, that you are coming back. And I pray, Father, that we would be waiting with eager anticipation, Father, uh, just uh, to see that you come and, and to restore this world, this place, this and your kingdom would come, Father, that your will would be done as it is in heaven. Give us uh, the things that we need here today, Father. Help us to have our hearts and our minds focused upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, We have been saying as we're going through Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 12 today, that uh, the whole gospel of Luke is taking on that tone of God coming into a, a dead, cold place and quickening, waking up the people that are asleep. And we talked about how a lot of this is building off of the parable of the sower. Parable of the sower, the guy goes out, he's planting seeds every which way. The seeds go out and some of them fall upon the roadside and the birds snatch them up real quick and they do nothing. Some of them are planted in shallow soil. They may sprout up, but they're going to die because of lack of root. Some fall among the weeds and they're choked out and they die, while others bear forth fruit. We we want to be in that category that bears forth fruit for God, that has the connotation that we have life and that we're living and that things are, are awakened, quickened in our life. To be a Christian, as we've been studying, to be a true disciple, as we have been hearing Jesus teach, is to be somebody who's thinking Somebody who is asking questions, we said. The disciples were questioning Jesus. They want to know more about the world around them, the things that are going on. And we've been seeing that we needed to bear forth fruit. True fruit of of repentance, of of the fruits of uh, evangelism, the fruits of watching God be entered into our world around us. Uh, Sometimes... Uh, uh, the desire is that we would be productive, to be alive. I wish sometimes we'd have the spirit of Jonathan inside of us. Jonathan was a guy that just, you know, was a wild, crazy guy. He's back there in the days of King David, King Saul, his father. and, And there's this scene where you see Jonathan, he's sitting on... On this, this, there's one level area where the nation and the kingdom of of Israel is. And then on the other side, you can see the Philistines. And in between, there's this huge valley, if you would, these crags that went across on one side to another. And Jonathan just wakes up and he says, hey, let's go for it. Let's go over there. He goes to his armor bearer, the guy carrying his sword. Says, I just, you know, let's see. And he, he walks all the way down to the bottom of the hill. And he tells his armor bearer and he says, hey, i tell you what, armor bearer. If those guys start running down towards us, you and I will run. (laughs) But you know what? If they say, hey, come on up here, then we're going to go up there, and God's given us a great victory. And I'm sure his armor bearer is scratching his head saying, yeah, we're going to climb up the hill, and that's God giving us the signal that it's a great victory. And so they go down the bottom, and sure enough, the Philistines up on the other side, their whole camp's over there. And they, hey, Jews, look at them, they're coming out of their holes. Come on up here, I want to tell you a little secret. Jonathan kind of winks at his armor-bearer and says, that's our signal, man, we're going to get a great victory today. And he starts plowing up the hill, and he gets up to the top and starts swinging his sword, ripping everybody to pieces. And then on the, 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 the Israeli camp, they're going, man, what's going on over there? They can kind of see some things happening, and they're going, looks like God's starting to do something. And then pretty soon, it starts into the whole Israeli army, starts plowing over there, running up the hill. A huge victory. Just because somebody has a, a wild quirk, a perky idea, the 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 idea that, you know, God can do anything. Jonathan told his armor bearer, he goes, Hey, you know what? God God is not restrained to bring deliverance by few or many. And I like that, that... that that wild hair to say, you know what, if, if God's going to give me the delivery, why do we need 500 men against 300 men or 700 men against 200 men? Well, who cares about that? If God's on my side, I can do it. <clears throat> and, and the idea of life, living, perkiness is to say, hey, man, maybe God's in something. Maybe the idea of us bearing forth fruit is to be, receptive to the idea that something crazy, something wild can happen in our lives. And I really think that we do a huge disservice to ourselves when we are cold, stagnant, stuck in a rut tradition. That's not the, the walk with God that he wants with you. He wants to, to jolt you. He wants to take you on a wild ride that is going to bear forth fruit and have an abundant life. And, and we should be thinking, looking, understanding that mindset. I, I believe that's the overall mindset that Jesus is trying to instill in us in these passages. If you would, let's review a little bit of last week. If we pick up in verse 29... And we saw that uh, Jesus was trying to comfort us to realize that God is going to take care of us, that we should not be afraid to step out and, we said, to risk. We can risk a little bit because we know that our backs are covered. He says, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, in verse 29 of chapter 12. He says, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But you seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Luke wants to get that idea across to us to say, God's got your back. Don't fret about these things. Verse 32, he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God loves you. He's for you, and it's going to be okay. Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide yourself money bags, which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't tap out the resources of God. God has got an abundant supply to take care of our needs. So why not, why not risk a little? Why not have the bold adventure desire to say, Lord, I'm going to do something crazy. I want to just do something crazy for You. And now he turns around he says, verse 35, where we're picking up today's text, he says, "...let your waist be girded in your lamp's burning." and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. So, everyone's waiting for the boss to return. And when he will return from the wedding, having a big party, that when he comes and knocks, he's got to come home late from the wedding, that they may open to him immediately. The text is a little weird here, but it says in verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will, gird, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. That's weird. The master, the boss, serving the servants. And if he should come in the second watch later on in the evening or come in the third watch and find them, "...find them so, well, blessed are those servants, even better yet. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come..." Now all of a sudden it changes into another whole concept about somebody in a house with a thief coming, not the master returning, but a thief approaching. "...but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into." Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There's a lot of ideas that are being intertwined here. And sometimes there's opposing ideas. You think of the the blessing of the master coming home. Good, the, the, the boss of the household is here. That's going to provide stability. And it's also the opposing idea would be a thief is coming that would provide a sense of instability. And Jesus is putting them together to say whichever direction it would come from, the concept would be preparation, readiness, alert. And 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 he is begging us to have that same concept, to be watching. Notice he says that your waist be girded. To uh, us, that may not mean much, but for them, in those days, the men would wear a long dress-like, you know, garment that would go down to their ankles, and they would walk around. If they they were going to actually run, you would take your long robe, whatever, you'd pull it up to your waist and then take your belt and retie that around, so now you're wearing more or less a skirt instead of a dress. Hence, if you had to run, your legs were more mobile and you wouldn't trip over your long robe. And what he's saying is it may not look appropriate. Uh, you look a little bit more goofy back then with showing your legs, but you're ready to run. And Jesus is telling us as a church, we need to be ready. A little spontaneity, a little bit of the ability within inside of the church to be flexible that at the moment's notice we would be able to get up and boogie out the door. It has the same connotation of when they were to eat Passover. They, they were to eat the Passover meal with the same uh, preparations of their, their loins girded, if you would. They were to have their, their stuff up and tied around with their belt. They were to be there with their staff, and they were to say, we're getting out of Dodge real quick. God's doing a wonderful miracle at Passover, and he's going to you know, finally eliminate the, the uh, uh, Egyptians, and finally we're going to be free, and it, it can happen right now. It is sad that most of us spend our time just putting our skirts down, uh, 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 being in a comfortable place of leisure, more worried about how we appear instead of if we're ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, you don't know. You just don't know. There has to be a sense of preparation. Your lamps are lit. You're sitting down there saying, I'm ready to run out the door. Uh, it's a proper attitude for you and I to say, "Lord, come quickly." Lord, if it can be today, and that's fine with me. And I do. I think that church, universal around Columbus, it almost seems like a out of a, you know popular statement to turn around and say that Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, I like the sign out front, and I stick it out front. It says, Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready? Coming back soon. And people, I'm sure, they drive by that every day and go, oh, who's the loony bin church over there that's still saying that? Well, you know what? I want to still be the loony bin church that's still saying that because, you know what? I don't know if Jesus is coming back in the next thousand years or not. I really don't care. He told me, He's telling me here to be ready today as if it were to happen today. And if it doesn't, well, I'm not going to sweat the details, but I want to be alert. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And so if you would, Jesus is using this concept. He says, you don't know what's going to happen. If the Master comes back, what do you want to do? And I think there's a play on words here. He says, uh, that he says, verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Master, when He comes will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that He will gird. So the Master girds up for action, if you would. He's, he's bracing Himself. And what is He going to do when He's ready for action? And I love this. He has them sit down to eat and to come and to serve them. I believe Jesus is girding for action and His action is to love and to care for the church. I love that. This is an insane parable in a sense. It doesn't make sense. Whatever master in their right mind comes home late from the wedding and finds, you know, the servant, you know, the butler sitting there saying, I've been waiting for you, sir. Here's your shoes and, and, you know, we're ready to nestle you into bed. And what guy comes home late from the wedding party and says, Hey, butler, you sit down. I'm going to wash your feet. What would you like? Let me fix you some Cheerios. And you go, ah, that's not what's supposed to happen here. You know what I mean? This is this is uh, this is the concept of God who's there to serve. And and if you're ready, then God's ready for you. I like that handshake, uh, that that exchange. If you would, we want God to be sensitive to our needs, don't we? Hate it when we pray, Lord, I'm crying out in my distress, and it it just. It just seems like, Lord, if I'm talking to you, you don't care. And and you're turning a deaf ear to me, God. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you just feel like God's a million miles from you. And we want to say, God, hey. Hey, God, I I want it when I talk to you. You're listening. Hey, God, I want it when, when when I'm hurting. You're there to minister to my needs. Well, flip it back. What are you doing to be prepared for Christ's return? Are you just trying to make yourself comfortable? Fall asleep? Slumber? Hey! There's, there's, if your waists are girded, the Lord's girded for you. And I like this. It goes into verse 41. It says, And then Peter said to Him, Lord, do you, do you, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Now, if you've been with us through the text, you're starting to see Peter. And we saw that Peter just really stuck his foot in his mouth a few chapters ago with building a tabernacle. God brought him up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus shows him the things of the Spirit, the voice of God. He sits down there and sees Moses and Elijah. And Peter's like, this is trippy. And we saw that Peter sticks his foot in his mouth and says, you want us to go build three tabernacles? And it has a whole bunch of connotations of making a memorial to something, blah, 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 blah. But lo and behold, you know, it's God who says, Peter, shut up. That's the wrong concept. (laughs) And so you can see poor Peter. He's like, well, you know, he's now breaking out a little bit out of his hesitancy. And I like this. He's looking at what Jesus is saying, and he's kind of scratching his head, and he's saying, is there something more to this? Uh, Jesus, you're talking to me, okay? Now, I'm going to ask the question, Maybe this has a bigger ramification than just what you're saying. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I love that that idea. He's starting to understand that something bigger is happening. And I like uh, I had a brother at the prayer meeting use the expression. He says he said that there's a, a a thing sometimes that happens that when you're talking to somebody and you hit a brick wall that uh they're not listening to what you're saying. Sometimes a prophetic word, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in and he, he uses a thing called the veil ripper. I like that terminology. It just kind of shreds the veil and rips it apart and says, look, I'm talking to you. And, and, and God sometimes uses a, a veil ripper. He, he wants you to open up your eyes and to say there's something more going on here. Get outside your, your, your cold, stale, stagnant life and start to realize the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He's going to say something to you. And there's a time when all of a sudden the the scales are removed from your eyes, the veil is that seems to be between you and God is ripped apart, and all of a sudden it's like, well, now I'm starting to interchange and exchange with God. And 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 it's almost as if you hear Peter, he's starting to go, wow, there's you know, be ready for your return. And and you could just see, well, I got Jesus with me. What do you mean your return? And you know, you think Peter could visualize a couple thousand years of him coming back and Jesus dying on the cross and Peter didn't even really get the cross at this point. And and yet, Peter is starting to go, we're kind of entering into that twilight zone here thing, Jesus. You know, things just, it's surreal. How's that for... uh, Peter is starting to understand that there's some things that are surreal. I uh, had a neighbor come up Thursday night. And... uh, he uh, uh, asked me, I, uh, Carl and I take Nathan, little Nathan's five, he's got Down syndrome, and he gets on his little tricycle, and man, the kid just, <clears throat> he plows down the block a million miles an hour now. You know, he's king of the world on his little tricycle. And Carl and I have to go through the rituals of walking around the block, you know, a couple times every every day to take care of little Nathan and his tricycle endeavors. And uh, it's good exercise for him. And, and we, I started to meet one of the neighbors a little bit around the corner and stuff, and he's a real nice guy. And uh, I've talked to him three or four different times. I told him I was a pastor. He's told me he's a devout atheist and blah, 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 blah. And I'm, you know, chipping away at it. And he comes and knocks on my door on Thursday. He says, Dave, he goes, you know, uh, can you do me a favor tomorrow night? was wanting me to come over Friday to do a funeral. And I was like, yeah, he goes, my nephew just got murdered. I don't know if you've you've heard, but there was a guy down in Lancaster that his wife stabbed him a couple times. And he's like, that's my nephew got murdered. Can you do the funeral? And I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, if that's what you want I'll, you know. And here I'm trying to reach out to this guy. I thought it was a real good bridge. And uh, he he said, come on over to my house in about an hour. So I went over his house. And it was just so weird sitting here as this guy, he's... 44, 46 years old, and his nephew was 42 or something, has an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, 6-year-old kid, the guy that got murdered. And him and his wife are sitting back there, and a couple of his sister and one of her friends comes over. They're all sitting on the back porch. I think they went through about a pack of cigarettes in the 15 minutes I was there between the four of them there, <laughs> just sucking them down. And and you know how you get that tense feeling, and, and they're saying, you know, it's just so weird. It's it's so weird that, you know, this guy Brian stabbed to death. I, know, I guess we could have seen it, but it's just, and, and what are they going? It's surreal. It's so It's so weird to think that, this guy that was with us was all of a sudden stabbed by his wife. We're making funeral arrangements. Hey, it's the 4th of July weekend. It's not what you think you should be doing. And I just got this weird feeling of what's going on in my life. And you know, sometimes that, that is what we need in our lives to recognize that there are surreal uh, super above and beyond the normal ways of life that are going to happen to you and I. Peter. Peter says in Second Peter, he's talking about the return of the Lord. He says in Second Peter chapter 3, I'll just read you a few verses. He says, but just listen to the tone of Peter. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring you up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So Peter tells you, I'm nagging you. I'm going to remind you a second time, and I want to stir you up that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. I think he's referring to what Jesus was saying here. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, "Oh, where is the where is the promise of his coming? Uh, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, my grandma told me that she was going to be the last generation. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this. Peter says, it escapes their notice. They're dumb to one thing. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and by water. For through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness?" looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patient of our Lord as salvation. Man, Peter is just laying it on thick. And he wants to say, you know, uh, he's pointing out, and I love this, if you were with us through that Mace Baker presentation a few months ago, the guy that was the creation scientist, he used this text to say, you know what, God has spoken to us today saying that God has done some surreal weird things before. First off, he created the world. A major cataclysmic event. Massive change to put the whole world together in six days. We, we thoroughly reject, you know, millions of years of just one dust particle growing into another dust particle. We think that God did a major, and what Peter is saying, it's a major cataclysmic surreal event. And once we have the world together, God turns around and floods the whole world again. Another major cataclysmic surreal event. And if God has done that twice before, what makes us so cocky to think that it's not going to happen again? And God sometimes does things that just whacks you out of your gourd a little bit, slaps you upside the face and says, we're in this you know, twilight zone like, wow, oh, God's doing some weird things. I don't think I would have expected this to happen. I couldn't have seen this coming, but here we are doing a funeral. Here we are. Jesus is coming back. Oh, I heard about it. I laughed about it. I never really thought that that was real. But when it comes upon you, there's that context to say, wow. I think Peter is trying to look at that. He's at that veil ripping moment. He's starting to ask Jesus. He's talking, Jesus, you're coming back. That means we're going to lose you. What's happening? Jesus, are you just like talking to us? Is this like, you know, making dinner arrangements? Or are you like making a major teaching right here? And I think. I think Jesus is saying, I'm telling you some very important things. It's a very important way of life for us as believers. He answers the question to Peter in verse 42, chapter 12. And the Lord said, well, he's really saying, well, it's for anyone. But he says, who, who then is that faithful and wise steward? A steward's like, you know, I always think of it as like the butler type thing, you know, or somebody who's in charge of something. He says, whom his master will make ruler over his household. Who's who's the faithful and wise, who's smart enough, who's the smart enough butler that his master will make ruler over his whole household to run the house while he's gone, to give them their portion of food in due season? So there should be a a butler out there that's smart enough to take care of the rest of the household because the rest of the household needs to be run and organized and people need to eat. And, And who's the guy that's going to be smart enough? You and I should be the ones that are here on the planet saying this is the household, this is the church, this is the family of God. We need to be ministering and caring for the needs of others. God's going to come back and He's going to say, who's out there running the household correctly? That would go to our own personal household. Is my household a wreck and a failure? Am I the head of the household supposedly and it's in shambles and it's my fault? Is the church in order? Is 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 the gospel going forward? And Jesus is asking that. There's there's meals to be served, just as if a butler would serve three meals a day of Cheerios and a peanut butter sandwich and something for dinner or whatever happens. We should have three spiritual meals going forward. To, to say, morning, noon, and night, I want to feed the Spirit. And the church should be in the business of administering food. right This is where the sheep like to eat. And, and we want to say, hey, come on in, get dinner. We want to be that faithful servant. Not just a hamburger or a brat. It's great that we do that. But to be able to say, here's God's Word. God's Word feeds the spiritual side of us. So Jesus says, verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, in his heart, though my master is delaying his coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants. Shut up, you'll get your peanut butter sandwich when I say so. And to eat and to drink and to be drunk. To fall back asleep. Back into a slumber of not being awoken. He says the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. Surprise! And at an hour when he's not aware. Surprise! And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Ow! Jesus! That's the master tiptoeing around the back door with a machete in his hand and he's going to butcher the butler. (laughs) Hey! Gee, Lord, light up! And there's some shock value there. There is an intensity of what Jesus is trying to say is that there is life and death, and so many of us just blow it off, we gaff it off, We, we don't care about Jesus and the things that he's saying. And a true believer, a true disciple is aware, is sensitive, is pertinent to the things that are happening. We've got that mandate, Christian. Verse 47, and the servant, and this is really loopy, he says, and the servant who knew his master's will. Okay, he, the, the butler knew he was supposed to be in charge. He knew he was supposed to feed the people, but he just didn't care. And he did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. So if if the butler was given a charge and a mandate as you and I have been, for the return of Christ, and we're aware that He is coming back, then we're going to be beaten, you know, to a pulp. Jesus is going to come and beat the char out of us because we should know better. And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, verse 48. But he who did not know, well, I, I... I was kind of clueless. Yet he committed things deserving of stripes. The guy, you know, was falling asleep and drunk on the job, but he didn't really know, No, he's just going to be beaten with a wet noodle. He shall be beaten with a few. Oh, bad you. Wow, well, that guy gets off. But the butler that was put in charge, and he's drunk, is going to be beating the tar out of him. For everyone, and this is a spiritual principle, for everyone to whom much is given... From him much will be required, into whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So how's that for answering Peter's question? You think that's speaking to us? And and Jesus is saying, oh yeah, that's speaking to you. Does it speak to everybody? Yes, it's a universal principle. But buddy, we better be paying attention. If we are to be a true disciple, if we want to consider ourselves one of the seeds that's planted, that's going to bear forth fruit, there comes a responsibility with inside of you and I to be alert, be ready, and to be prepared. You want to call yourself and say, well, I'm serving the Lord. Uh, Lord, I'm not going to let you down. I want to be in that number. I want to be one of the true disciples. Jesus is telling you then you've got to be ready and prepared for His return. This is a, an, an intense passage. And it comes down to if you know better. We should be knowing as one of the primary doctrines of the church that there is an eminent return of Jesus Christ. I don't want to labor the point, but we as a church believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That's a fancy term of saying that we believe that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. Seven years that... Jesus says, Matthew 24, that the world is going to see pain and tribulation like it's never seen before. That there is going to be the darkest hour of the world is still yet to happen. And during that time, the seven-year tribulation is where the wrath of God is going to be poured out. A simple, basic overview of the book of Revelation is everything is thrown down from heaven to destroy the earth. A third of it's destroyed here, a third of it there, famine, death, disease. You've got everything coming down to rip the planet apart. And we believe that uh, Jesus Christ is going to come and to deliver the church, to rapture the church. That word rapture is Latin for where in the Greek it's harpazoed. So we believe that we're going to be harpazoed or we say to be caught up, to be delivered from such things. That Jesus Christ is to turn around and to say, For He Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That Jesus Christ has been telling us that He's going to come for us. He told us in John chapter 14, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come for you and, and take you back. We believe that there's an imminent return of Jesus Christ. and our church here believes that if you're going to start this tribulation period, that God's going to come up and, and rapture us to start us off and take us and remove us to start this seven-year tribulation period. And then it's going to hit the fan, and then Jesus Christ is going to come back with the vengeance at the end of this seven-year tribulation. He's going to slay the Antichrist with a word, and then we're going to see a new millennial, a new kingdom, and new things start to happen on the planet. A very surreal time. Now... I'm not here to argue pre or post trib. I have my views, and I'm firmly and in pre tribulation standards. That's me. And I realize there's some people in our church that want to argue about a post tribulation, meaning that you know we're to go through those seven years, and when you know it really hits the fan, and God's pouring forth all of His wrath on the planet, that we're going to be protected through it. And and people could argue, and the argument should settle down to the same answer, that you need to be prepared. I would say that at any given moment, you don't know when this seven-year period's going to click off. It could start today. And that the rapture could happen, you know, by the time church service is over with today. And so, therefore, I am ready at any given moment. I don't think you're going to see anything that's going to give you a hint that this is the way things are going to happen. Because Jesus says, if at an hour you do not know, you can't expect it. But you know what? If you're one of those people that think you're going to go through it, And you want to go through this whole thing and see the Antichrist and all these things start to happen. I think you could clearly see when the return of Jesus Christ is. But I can be sympathetic to the post-tribbers so long as the idea is to say, Dave, I'm living every single life because I realize we're going to go through war. And there's going to be a war like never before, and I am on my knees. I am praying, and I am looking, and I've got cans of peas under my bed, and I'm going to be stashed up, stored up to do every single thing I can to get through the most terrible days of my life, and I want to make sure I'm on the right side of God. And I really believe that if you are in the heart attitude of preparation, preparation is the key. If you are ready and prepared, I'm happy with you. What do they say? You, you prepare for post and you pray for pre. So, you know, we could go through the battle of the century and watch it all, and we as a church may have some role to play through that, which I would argue with. But I believe God is not destined us for wrath. He's destined us for salvation, that he wants to sit down and to work in us a great work. But it still comes down to that attitude to say, Lord, I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what tomorrow brings. And I want to make sure that today I'm not drunk, I'm not beating my slaves, I'm not taking advantage of people, I'm not sitting down there doing something stupid because I want to be that faithful servant serving, loving, and giving. And if it takes you another thousand years, then so be it. If it takes you, you know, today, then praise the Lord, I'm ready for you. And that attitude is a must with inside a believer. Sorry, that is mandated and it's not up for debate. We must be ready and even if Jesus doesn't come for another thousand years, if you got the holy insight to say, oh, Jesus is coming in 3,025, you know, December 25th, that's no excuse for you to go to sleep on the job, brother. You have got to be awake here, now, on this shift. And so the mandate goes forward. And so he says, don't be lulled to sleep. He says another hard couple verses, verse 49. He says, I came to send fire on the earth. Well, that's nice, Jesus. And, and how I wish it was already kindled. I wish you guys were all burned. Okay, Jesus. He says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. So Jesus is turning around and he says, for his the baptism, it doesn't mean he needs to be go redunked in the Jordan River again. For him to be baptized again is to say, I need to be immersed in something. And and that's what uh, to baptize means to be dunked in. And, and, And he's saying, I have to be going through another ritual, another thing, another event, if you would, that I need to be dunked in. And he's specifically talking about the cross. And he's saying, I've got to face the cross, I need to die. So before we go into my second coming, let's deal with my first coming. And then when I'm done with the first coming of my death and resurrection, and we get through that process, then we can think about the second coming. He says, but I wish I could get through this. There's going to be fire that's coming down, a fire on the earth, verse 49. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Do you think everything's just to be all nice and warm and rosy and little warm fuzzies to everybody? I say, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. That's no shocker, right? (laughs) And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Once again, not that big of a prophecy. (laughs) But He's only saying, for what? Not because they just don't get along, but it's going to come over the knowledge of the will of God to be prepared for His coming. And Jesus is saying, if you are aware of these things and understand God, you will separate yourself from the rest of the world that wants to lull itself to sleep. It's what they know. It's the will of the Father that's going to cause division. And it does. It causes huge divisions between believers, even in a household today. Christians, this is one of the biggest things that kills Christians. They give their life to the Lord, they're all excited, and then it's mommy and daddy that says, we don't want to hear that. We don't want you to get saved. Shut up with that gospel stuff. I've watched believer after believer come to our little church, get saved, and then go home to face mommy and daddy, and then you watch them just suck the life right out of that like a dried up, when it's all said and done, and the guy goes, I, you know, I don't want to get into this Jesus stuff. It's real hard when you go. You know what? I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was going to burn in hell for eternity, and then all of a sudden, you know, now I have everlasting life because Jesus came into my life, and I'm so excited. And you know what? The next thought is, is, well, my dad never made that decision. Dad must be in hell. I like my daddy took me fishing. And you're telling me that my papa's in hell? I don't want to think like that. I don't want don't let's just not go there. Okay, I'll just bury my head in the sand and be But as a believer you're called to wake up and to say, God's called me. Others may be on the road to hell, and I want to do everything I can to stop that from happening. It should be a driving force inside of you and I to stimulate us. And it will cause a fight, and don't be shocked about it. Verse 54, and he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, say, Oh, a shower is coming. We see clouds coming in from the west. We go, it's going to rain today. And so it is. And when you see the, the South wind blowing, right? We get a nice warm wind up from the Gulf, what do we say? Oh, it's got to be warm. There'll be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky, of the Earth of the, uh, and of the Earth. And how is it you don't discern this time? How can you be so blind about what Christ is doing all around you? If you were looking, you would be seeing more. Yes. And why, even of yourselves, do you judge what is right? When you go with your adversi- uh, ad- ad- adversary sorry, to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid the very last mite, Sent. And so, he's saying, if you would, and I believe that verse kind of ties in a lot of the concepts. Okay, if you had some guy that was suing you, who wants to drag you off into jail and make accusations, anybody with a lick of sense would turn around and just say, hey, let's talk about this first. Before we go into the judge, before we go pay all the money to the lawyers, can you and I sit down and talk first? That would be smart, right? Before, you know, you're getting a divorce, Why don't you sit down and say, maybe we should go to marriage counsel? Let's go talk to the pastor first. Before this turns into, you know, the lawyer gets 10,000, your lawyer gets 10,000, the judgment, let's see if we can stop this process now. Maybe we could just deal with this and and not have it to be such a. That's common sense. And what Jesus is saying is, we need to have a little bit of common sense. Before. Before it gets into that surreal state of insanity where everything's in the twilight zone in your life and everything is falling apart, Jesus is only begging and asking you to stop and think and to make a couple decisions in your life now. To be the butler, to be alert, to pay paying attention. To be sitting down there saying, Jesus, is my heart right with you before you come back? Lord, have I dealt with some of my sins? He says he's going to throw you into prison to pay back for your sins. Can you ever pay back the debt for your sins? Time you go up to somebody and said, you're a blankety, blankety, blank, blank. And that does such an emotional scar to people. And if we've said anything like that, what kind of dollar and cents do you put on that? When mommy goes up and says, you good for nothing piece of trash, son. And that kid is scarred for the rest of his life. How much is that worth? I don't want to be there trying to pay back that debt down to the very last penny. I think that that's a good uh, uh, analogy of you're going to sit in hell forever. And if that be true, when we're going to a court case, a day of judgment to sit down in front of the judge that I'm going to be judged, Don't you think it would be pertinent of me to be prepared to deal with some of these issues first and foremost? Maybe to get on my knees and to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I have done such hideous things. I need your mercy to forgive me. That's a good start. But Jesus is, is I think, asking us to go a little bit deeper. And I believe that he's asking you and I as believers here, and it's not so much as just this is a teaching about Jesus is even coming back. I believe that this is a teaching for you and I to turn around and to recognize that when we walk in the Spirit, that we should be prepared for anything to hit us at any given time without it turning into the la-la, you know, twilight zone, you know, surreal feeling. It's not proper for believers to be blindsided by what God is doing. And God is capable at coming back. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com.